Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink. Welcome to another fantastic episode of Tasting Anarchy. I'm your host, Jacob Lindsay, and as always, I'm joined by... Mason Joseph. We should just can that intro because... I, I was I was like struggling there. I was like, oh man, what should I say? What should I say different? And then I was like, eh, just That's do the same, same one. Thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, just, so. just, just, just I'll just do the same one. But uh, yeah. we had our regular, uh, you know, thirty minutes of pre-show life experience talk. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, then we came up to a story that you were about to tell that you yeah. said, oh, this will be good for the show. So why don't we go ahead and get into that? Yeah. Before, so uh, we you just, know, we get going. Continuing the world's favorite topic, COVID, um, recently they've really kind of started stepping up the enforcement of having to, you know, follow Governor Blackface's orders um, to wear a mask. And, you know, I respect, like, especially private businesses, like if they're like, no, like, if you want to come in here, we are asking you to do this. Sure, that's fine. But like big publicly created, traded companies like Kroger and Target, um, you know, those places, like, they don't care. Like they're, they, you know, it doesn't matter to them. But what I thought was super interesting is the Kroger that we go to is one of the, is the super Kroger. So it's like the massive Kroger and it's got like, yeah, like is that the one that's down there? Like, uh, over by the five below and, um, the home goods and all that. Uh, or do you go to the, or do you go to the one that's on like general booth? No, I go to the one the I, the one you're thinking of, or, or um, Holland. I mean, yeah, Holland, the one on Holland. The, yeah, yeah, the one, yeah. I go to the one on Holland, but yeah, same same model. Yeah, I, I like uh, those. Those, those yeah. big ones are really cool. Yeah, they're really nice. So they actually hand out a mask as you approach. So they're not turning anyone away if they don't have it. They're giving you one, which I thought like. As like a, you know, a store that like, Hey, these are the rules. You're supposed to wear one, but in case you're not like as some sort of defiant thing, we still want your business and we're providing you the means to go into the store. And it wasn't like some cheapo mask. It was like a, a like the, as I was telling you, I've, I've been wearing the same one this entire time. So, you know, if you, if you're afraid of COVID and you see me in the wild, uh, don't come near me because I haven't changed the mask. It's just the same N95, you know, mask that may not actually be N95. You know, it may have been back when people were getting super ripped off when somebody yeah. gave well, it to that, me. That's, I had the same, the same thing. I was wearing the same mask forever until we went swimming and I put them, I put it in my, uh, swim trunks pocket and mm-hmm. just forgot oh. and went swimming. And then when we, when we got out, I went, Oh crap, my mask, I swam with it. And Troy was like, eh, we'll still wear them. They just require face coverings. I yeah. Like, yeah, but I can't breathe through it because it's wet. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd you go swimming at? Uh, well, this was when we were in Angel Fire. So when we oh, went okay. swimming, uh, well, in Taos, we went swimming in the river there. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. So, like, I thought, you know, that was a really kind of a smart play on Kroger's part. Like, they have the masks. It's not a huge amount of extra money to them to hand them out. And from like a community standpoint, you're following the rules and you're helping your customers follow the rules. You know what I mean? Like you're going like, okay, we still want your business, even though you didn't bring a mask or you forgot or, you know, something like that. So like, I thought that was for having to wear it when I hadn't been wearing it in there, 
the last couple, you know, any of the times before other than the first time where I thought like, Oh, they're not going to let me in. And then I just started walking around without it on and everyone was smiling and kind of like, not like nodding and winking, like, ha you're breaking the rules. Just like no one said anything. Right. Like I yeah. went to the customer service desk, turned in milk bottles. Cause we get the milk bottles that you get a deposit with no issues ever. And like just a couple weeks ago, they just like really started ramping it up. So, yeah. Yeah. And that, and around here, I mean, it became a state mandate a while ago, but, uh, they, they've now started kind of enforcing it. So whole, whole foods, actually, I had a similar experience at whole foods. I went, you know, they sell basil in like a large mm-hmm. container, but for some reason, yeah. Kroger here doesn't have basil in a large container. They only have it in those like tiny ones. Mm-hmm. And I need a lot of basil. And so, um, I'll, and I do grow it, but I didn't want to like chop it off my plants because they were they're still little. But uh, when I went there, I I went to the door. This was this was a while ago, and they were like, uh, "You got to have a mask." And I was like, "Oh, I don't have one." And they were like, "Oh, well, you got to have a mask." And I was like, uh, "Well, I came here to buy a mask." And they're like, um, "You got to have a mask." I was like, "If I don't have, if I don't own a mask." I didn't say this. I just kind of was like, okay, that's enough. But like in my head, I'm going, if I don't own a mask and I'm coming to a store to buy a mask so that I can be in compliant with the law, where am I supposed to get these masks? Yeah. And, and that's kind of one of those things. I think that's like the, I, their response is like, Oh, we gave you, you know, a forewarning that the, the rule was coming. And it's like, it's the, uh, you know, Tom Woods's thing about like, if global warming was truly like truly the end of the world, they wouldn't be talking about, anything else ever like nothing else would ever matter um but like oh the governor can give you five days before the mask is required then it's not fucking required yeah exactly because in those five days how many people are you spreading this disease that has continuing plummeting death counts but yeah plummeting death counts and like the governor of florida is basically telling the you know florida department of health or whatever yeah, figure out why people who showed up to get tested but didn't actually go through with getting tested are getting positive return results. Yeah. Well, like there was also – there was yeah. I mean I don't want to – we don't want to get too much into this. But like Florida's had a lot of things like that where they, were, they had like 300 testing centers report 100% positive cases. Mm-hmm. And they and like, started investigating it and then and they were like, oh, well, that was a mistake. And they were like, okay, so retract it. And they were like, oh, well, it's already been reported. Yeah. And that's the thing is like the, a lot of the, those centers are not the ones saying the, a lot of those sent the reporting places. They're not the ones who published the results. They, they sent in like accurate information. Like, no, it's 9.8% like positive results and someone else reported it differently. And they're just like, yeah, we're not going to do anything to try to like tell these people that this was reported incorrectly. Yeah. So yeah, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's silly. <laughs> yeah. It's, but you it's, know what? I specifically chose topics this week that were not COVID <laughs> related. Yeah. But that's, uh, where, that's what I just but, wanted to say is like, this is the free market working. Yeah, that's true. Is- it, it is. And, and actually we had some, a similar experience. There's a, there's a big mall. Uh, well, it's, I mean, every, everywhere has a Galleria, but the big Galleria though, in North Dallas, they were doing the same thing. And they actually, uh, when we were leaving the mall, I guess the, the people that they hired to like hand out the masks at the entrance had left, but they'd left the masks out. So we just took all of them <laughs> and then put them in the glove box. So that if we, if like, cause Victoria wears lipstick. So if she puts the mask on, 
it lipstick gets all over it. She doesn't want to wear it again. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I'm just, like I said, I've been wearing the same one since, um, actually they gave me a free one somewhere and I took, and I also took that. Like, if they give it a free one, I'll take a free one just because a yeah. it's free and B like, you know, they're going to make me wear it at different places. It, I, I, I think I've shared this on the show before. I did, I did get Karen a little bit at QT, mm-hmm. uh, when I one time I went in there without a mask a, a while ago. Now they're actually pretty strictly enforcing it, but I went in without a mask, and some lady was just some fat white lady was just sit, standing there by the door. I don't even think she was buying anything. She was just standing there, and she was like, "You're supposed to wear a mask." And I just walked <laughs> past her, and then like when I got in there, there was like ten other people in the in the store, and and like two of them were wearing masks, <laughs> and I was like. Like I just ignored her and just and just went on. And then like you know I've had I've had that experience too where like we go into the Kroger past the people checking, and -hmm. then as soon as we get in we just take them off and uh, and then you get the like the head nod from the other people who are doing that. (laughs) They're like they're like yeah you know what's up (laughs) exactly. So I I, yeah it's it's a weird time and like you know what if people are afraid let them wear the mask but yeah if if you're really truly that afraid stay home. Yeah, it, and that's the thing is like you can order is, shit online. Yeah, like I'm not afraid. I'm not worried. I'm not going to die from this. Just move off. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. Just get, yeah. This is. I mean, it kind of. We'll, we'll we'll get off the topic, but yeah. So let's just get off the topic. But it does come. It comes down to that kind of like positive versus negative rights thing. Mm-hmm. Is it like your right? It's like the. I guess you could maybe frame this either way, but you know how like they always say is that your right to swing your fist stops at my nose mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I guess maybe the sickness thing, like if I did have it and I was actively going around like coughing on people and stuff, even if I didn't know I had it, you know, Walter Block would say it's your responsibility to keep your misery to yourself. Mm-hmm. So like if you, if you had like a bomb attached to your neck and you went into a public space, uh, that would be on you. And it would be on the person who put the bomb around your neck, but it would be on you to stay out of there. You would have to accept the misery because it's not anybody else's fault that you got kidnapped or whatever and had the bomb put around your neck. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, it's one of those kind of weird things where it's like, I, I sort of like from a libertarian standpoint, like I, I can't justify either one. Like I can't really justify the mandatory masks because you could simply stay home. Mm-hmm. So by I, you don't have a right to go out and shop. You can order stuff online and you have no right to just go out and force everybody else in the world to do what you want. But at the same time, if you are sick, you don't have a right to go out and uh, spread the disease. Although now I'm thinking about it, there is a counter on that. And that is that all humans have homesteaded the right to spread the common cold and the flu and that sort of stuff because it's expected in public places. Because it's been done all through history, so the 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 right to spread disease is homesteaded. Basically, it's like it's like if you were the first one to move into a place and you set up an airport and there was jet noise from your airport, and then a bunch of people moved in and built houses and were like, "We don't like the jet noise." Mm-hmm. Well, they already homesteaded the right to have jet noise. Yeah, they they built and it. humans have humans have homesteaded the right to go out and do shit where they're spreading diseases because that's. Humanity, it's part of being a human. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's not that I dislike that idea, but it's an interesting, like, that's something I have to think on. 
Yeah. You know what I well, mean? Like that's one of those it is weird. Where, yeah. Like, cause, cause the, the problem I have with it, the problem I have. So like, this is just kind of from a, I think this makes a good libertarian conversation is you have the right to go out and spread certain diseases. Like if you knowingly have AIDS, you don't have the right to go out and spread AIDS. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Cause that's one of those ones that you, there isn't a reasonable expectation of recovering from it. You know what I mean? Like, well, see, but I would, I wouldn't, I would maybe frame it differently because there's no reasonable expectation expectation that when you go out and have sex, you're going to get AIDS. Mm-hmm. But, but there, but there, I would say there is a reasonable expectation that when you go out doing, during flu and cold season season, you may get flu or cold. Correct. But this isn't flu or cold. This is a, uh, it is the same virus as cold. Well, it's a related virus. According to the, the stuff that they're saying now is that it is not that novel mm-hmm. and that it is, it is very similar to a cold. Um, there are things that are slightly different about it, but it, so there's actually, there's two stories that are coming out and I don't, I don't know which one's true is, um, one of those Weinstein, Weinstein brothers, um, the ones that are kind of like in the intellectual dark web or whatever. One of them is, yeah. One of them is saying that like, no, this is created. This is not a real thing, but like, I don't know how much information he has from that. Uh, I think he's like a biologist. So, well, I know, I know he is, but I don't know what data he has. To, mm-hmm. Like, I don't think, I don't think he's actively like studying this particular. No, 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 no I, I understand thing. what you mean. Like, yeah. It, it, yeah, you so mean, I, yeah, he you're... has a lot, he has more than I, I do to be able to say that one way or the other, but I don't know what information he has access to that is allowing him to determine that. So I would say kind of take it with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. But, um, but the other thing is that, so this to counter that or whatever, maybe this is a novel thing, but to counter that, the CDC in their own documentation says that the tests that they are using turn up positive for coronavirus, even the coronavirus that causes the common cold. Mm-hmm. So we have no idea how much there is of this. Yeah. But so I guess what I guess what I'm thinking, and this is just kind of there's a so you have a reasonable expectation when going out of not getting, you know, like, like you said, we've homesteaded the right to spread di- viruses and diseases, but I think there's a limit to the types that you can do that with. And I'd, I'd have to think on it more. So yeah, okay. all that aside, what are you drinking? <laughs> all right. So tonight, I'm actually, you know, I, I've been into these low calorie beers lately for some mm-hmm. reason, and I know that we'll probably get shit for it, but, um, I think I've actually talked about this. It's called hop skinny. It's a low calorie IPA from community. Um, I think actually I've described this to you and you were kind of like, uh, but it was, uh, it kind of tastes like a seltzer IPA. Yeah. Cause I, I just don't care for seltzer. Yeah. Okay. Yes. It, it, it is very light in flavor, but it's also a light, a light beer. It's, um, four grams carbs in it. And, and I've been trying to lose a little bit of weight. I put on quite a bit. So I'm trying to get back down to a, uh, a, a normal weight. Remember I was doing the fasting thing for a while and, mm-hmm. uh, I did that for a couple of weeks and it, it sort of worked, but then, you know, when you, when I stopped doing it, it was just, it was really difficult to do it. And then also when I stopped doing it, we had like a couple of weeks where, um, I just, I got out of it and then just was eating way too much food and stuff like that. And, and then also I was drinking the full calorie beers and stuff. 
And when Will was staying with us, we were just drinking a lot more beer than wine and wine is very low calorie. Uh, and that kind of got me back into, into, um, beers, but like, I like to have a drink, but I also don't want to get sloshed. And so I was drinking these like 9% IPAs that I like nine, 9% alcohol, mm-hmm. uh, that I think are really good, very flavorful and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, when I have a glass of wine or I have a, a couple of beers or whatever, it's it's a lot of times it's just more than I want mm-hmm. as far as alcohol, at least at this point. Like maybe in the winter I'll feel differently again. But I was also waking up too many times, kind of feeling hungover a little bit. And um so I decided I'll I'll switch to these low calorie ones. I can have I can have two or three of these low calorie ones. I like the way they taste. Uh it's four point two percent alcohol. So like two of these equals less than one of the other ones that I like from community, which is their mm-hmm. mosaic. Uh and so I kind of switched to these. I, I like them. Uh, I can usually drink them around lunchtime. I can have one with my lunch and it's low enough calorie and low enough alcohol that doesn't do anything to me at work. Um, and uh, But I did want to mention something else. And this is – we did an episode of this not too long ago with Ricky from Altamarfa. Uh, I had an opportunity to finally drink that other bottle of Laser Cat. I wanted to save it for like a time when like it would be kind of cool to, to drink it with somebody else. Um, and – I went ahead when Maddie K was up here. He was staying with me for a couple of days. I went ahead and opened it up. We had it together. And it was a different experience drinking it with Maddie K. And I don't know if it was a different flavor, but it was, uh, it seemed heavier almost. Mm -hmm. And it may be just like my palate is a little bit different right now, but it was uh, kind of a darker orange color, a little bit heavier. I got a lot less of the citrusy, the like the tart citrusiness, like lemon or grapefruit and a little bit more of like the darker sweeter citrus like blood orange Mm -hmm. and so it was really it was interesting i don't know if it's like a bottle by bottle or if it had to do i had a bunch of barbecue before we opened it so maybe it had something to do with what i was eating before but maddie k liked it he's a big texas wine guy because you know he's here in texas and he and his wife go up to hill country a lot and try things out uh for everybody who doesn't remember uh it's laser cat the 2019 is from alta marfa uh, it's a rosé of Tempranillo. It was harvested at the Robert Clay Vineyard in Mason, Texas, mm-hmm. uh, and there were only ten cases produced. Yeah, so it was it was good. It was nice to share that with Maddie K. I, I like uh, he brought me an a, actually a really nice Texas wine uh, that we'll probably review at another time. It's Tanat, and I've had it before. I had it at this French restaurant that Victoria and I go to sometimes in East Dallas, but uh, it's a uh, it's a, it's a good one. I'm, I'm interested to review it. I was going to open it tonight, but I just wasn't feeling the high alcohol mm-hmm. or anything. It might, you know, just, I ran five miles today. I walked the dogs for four miles. And then, um, yesterday we did jet skis and stuff. So I might be a little bit dehydrated in general or just tired out. So yeah. I just oh, thought a light beer and some water would be a little bit better. Yeah. I had, uh, with lunch, 40 ounces of, uh, Dos Equis Amber and then, uh, like 28 ounces of, uh, Negro Modelo. And like, I, I, for a while there, like I had really cut back enough that 40 ounces of beer just like was drunks fill for me <laughs> and yeah. really didn't impact me that much. Uh, so, you know, we, I like that. I like that Dos Equis Amber though. That's yeah. Good. Dos Equis Amber is good. I think you like, I think you would enjoy Negro Modelo. Uh, maybe not like a, a huge amount of it, but, okay. um, if you haven't had it before, I, you might've had it at my house at least once. Um, but 
it's a darker beer, but so I did a wine this week. Um, but I've got a goofy story about it as usual. So, okay. you know, we've been trying to review certain like wine grapes themselves. And I've been trying to kind of coordinate having like the wine either that week or frequently with it to kind of discuss, to kind of, you know, make the drive the conversation away from what's going on, goofy things going on in the world and more back to wine. So, you know, we were talking about possibly doing Tanan and then we were going to do a different one. And then I didn't have any of the different one. Uh, so I just went in and I've got like a bunch of Chardonnay left from that wine uh, group on my parents got me for my birthday. So I'm drinking Ray's Creek uh, Chardonnay. Uh, it's a 2016, it's 13.5 ABV. But so I, I've been doing the intermittent fasting, as you know, but I've started tracking it with the zero app. So okay. I'm on a 45 day streak with being 16 and eight. And like my average is like 16.4 over 45 days. So I generally like, as far as I know, I haven't broken the fast early and I haven't. And because of you know my work situation, I can't like, because we record after my fast when like, about an hour to two hours after my fast window closes, unless we're having a guest on the show, it makes it really hard for me to have a wine with the show anymore and maintain the fast because then I'll have to end my fast during someone else's lunch window at work. So right. Long way of saying that. So I went and got one of my, uh, insulated cups that my wife got me for Christmas or my birthday poured in a you know pretty heavy glass, put the cup lid on and I went and stuck it in the freezer thinking it's an insulated cup. It's going to pull in all this cold and it's going to chill the wine down really quick. And what did I do? I go and take, you know, put it in there for 45 minutes. I throw the wine bottle in the fridge so I can have some later in the week, you know, chilled and take a sip. And it's still like room temperature. <laughs> and I'm like, huh, okay. It's an insulated cup you put in the freezer, you moron. <laughs> like, Oh, that, that not, makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Both you and I are like, that's a great idea. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, that makes it'll sense. It'll go in the top because the top's just right. plastic. Like, it'll go yeah. in the top and be cold. Like, no, yeah. no. You should have put it in a regular glass, let that get cold, had the insulated cup in the freezer too, and then, you know, put them together. So, you know, I had a couple sips before I went and put ice in it because I really wanted to get it cold, but it was warm enough that it melted most of the ice. So it got really watery. So, um, what I did have was like, to me, it had good acidity, but I did smoke like a bunch of, I smoked a cigar and a bunch of pipe tobacco last night. So my tongue's a little roughed up. Um, I also went to the beach today and, you know, had all that beer. So I'm like, I'm probably dehydrated. So my tongue's a little rougher than it is normally. Um, but to me, really good acidity definitely like tropical fruit, like pineapple and passion fruit. That's like on the back of the bottle, but it's one of the few times where the back of the bottle really kind of hits it strong. Um, smell just standard Chardonnay smell. Like if you know, Chardonnay, it's got that smell. Um, it was, um, like color, like a golden amber, like, I mean, or not a golden amber, like a golden, uh, golden yellow. It was really nice looking wine. Um, pretty good taste acidity. Like I said, um, I mean, like a little bit of oak in there, like it was a really good glass of wine until I put ice in it. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to drinking the rest of the bottle. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that sounds pretty yeah. good. I mean, I'm not, I haven't been 
too much in Chardonnay, but you know, we talked about it. Uh, when did we talk about that Chardonnay? Maybe, maybe four episodes ago. And uh, we talked about Chardonnay as a grape. And that kind of made me start thinking a little bit more about it. And, mm. um, and, and, and we talked about this a bunch. I've had a few Chardonnays uh, more recently, and I'm not sure if I reviewed them on the show or not. And, and it is a pleasant drink. I think that I get very, I get biased by things very easily when it's uh, kind of like you do a little bit where it's like, it's a little bit popular. And so I'm kind of like, eh, Mm-hmm. I, I want to do something else or, or I, I do this a lot too, is where I tend to uh, get one thing and then I never want to get anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and that was me with Cab Sob for a long time. And um, so it kind of, that sort of biased me a little bit against the, the white wines I think is cause it was, they were so different. And, and I, I found my, I almost caught myself. We went to Ethiopian food for the last time or for the first time. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. You said it was good yeah, for, for the last time for Victoria. Cause she, it was way too spicy for her. Oh, but, um, man. We might, we might try it again. It's really good. It's actually, it's very similar. I think uh, the spice palette is very similar to Indian food, mm-hmm. but it's a lot of meat. And a lot less you can get, you can order either noodles or rice on the side, or you can order the vegetarian dishes, which are, are very lentil heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, it's all so heavily spiced that it's kind of hard to uh, find something for somebody who doesn't enjoy the heat. I loved it. I thought it was really good. It, it the, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but the, the item that I had is like near raw beef. Mm-hmm. So just, very lightly seared, cut up into chunks and with this delicious sauce on it. And I really like raw beef and, um, or, or very close to raw beef or, or actually even tartare. I like tartare a lot too. Um, and, uh, it was, it was very good, but yeah, if you, if you, well, actually maybe when I'm out there, we'll, we'll try to see if there's an Ethiopian restaurant and we can, uh, go get some. It's, I think you'd like it. They, it's a lot of lamb dishes and a lot of, uh, a lot of lamb dishes, a lot of beef, there was no goat on this menu, but the guy, like I talked to him a little bit while I was checking out and he was like, yeah, it's goat heavy and like other things. And speaking of goats, mm-hmm. goat, I, I have an article that, uh, do you want to do the, do you want to do a, my goat article? Do you want to do the grape of the week? Or do you want to do my other article that is drink related, but not wine or alcohol related? Well, my first question is, so with Ethiopian food, I thought they like, I thought that was, did you guys eat there? Yeah. Yeah. We ate at the place. Okay. It was um, a great, beautiful place too. It, yeah. it, like the outside looked like the shadiest place ever, but then once you got inside, it was pretty, very, nice. very beautiful. Yeah. So like I was going to say with uh, Ethiopian food, I thought like they didn't serve, like in my mind, it was one of those plate, the ones where like you used bread to eat it. So yeah, it's like communal. Yep, exactly. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted yeah. to confirm that. Yeah. So, that, <laughs> yeah, so they bring it, they bring it out on like this big, uh, it's like a big plate, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, um, with like a mat underneath it. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then they, they serve you these, like, it's, they're almost like pancakes. They're like little rolled up pancakes. And then mm-hmm. you just break off pieces of these rolled up, you unroll them and then break off pieces. And then you use that to scoop up the food. That sounds and awesome. And then, yeah, it's really cool. And the plate and the food's all on like one plate together. And then they have like, they had a little bit of uh, cheese on the side, like farmer's cheese, but it wasn't mixed in. So like you can, if you don't like cheese like you, yeah, mm-hmm. you can just not eat it. And um, yeah, I liked it a lot. I thought it was really good. Yeah. I was, very, I was very happy with it. It was, but it definitely was, you, remember when I made that, um, that uh, it wasn't curry. It was, uh, 
what was that Indian dish I used to make? Um, I don't remember, honestly, but. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, you remember how hot it was, though. Yeah. Yeah. It was like that. It yeah. was like you're you're sweating. It's it's just it's ungodly hot, but it, it's hot with. Uh, I think they use cayenne. It, it, mm-hmm. it tasted sort of like cayenne with maybe cardamom and saffron and um, uh, maybe some cinnamon mixed in. It, it's it's really interesting. It's a really interesting spice combination. It's very reminiscent of Indian food. Yeah, that's that sounds pretty pretty darn awesome. Yeah, it's it's super good. So next time you're out in Dallas or if I'm out there, we'll try to find an Ethiopian place and, and go eat it. it it's yeah. super good. I like it a lot. And, and it is kind of cool because they, they serve it all on like a big plate and then you just use the bread to pick up the pieces you want. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So article choice. You want to go into the grape? You want to go in and talk about goats? Or do you want to go in and talk about drinks? Let's do the... Uh, Grape of the week. Good Lord. <laughs> grape, grape of the week. All right. So we're going through, although we did take a, a brief skip of that when we talked about um, uh, Saparavi last week, mm-hmm. but we're going through the popular grapes. So we talked about the number <laughs> one most popular grape in, in the world is what you're drinking or what you drank this week, which is uh, Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second most popular grape is what we'll talk about this week, which is Cabernet Sauvignon. And we, we've done so many Cabernet Sauvignon wines because it's, it is my favorite. Well, I would say it's my, probably my second. Cabernet Franc is probably my favorite favorite grape. I, Cabernet Sauvignon, definitely like one it. of my go-tos. And, and here's the thing is like, you know me, I'm not the red guy. Um, but yeah, like I, I could totally get down with, like you were saying, with uh, Cab Franc being like probably my favorite grape. Yeah, it's Even great, it, and, it, and it's person. so interesting. It and it and it reflects so well where it's from. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things I like about it. it. It's very different depending on where it's from. Now, Pinot Noir is kind of like that too, but Pinot Noir is a lot more delicate, so it's a little bit harder to discern. Um, whereas the Cab Franc or the child of Cab Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, are I would say are a little bit more bold. They're easier to uh, they're easier to identify. So. What's cool about Cabernet Sauvignon, and one of the reasons why it's one of the most popular grapes in the world, and one of the most widely planted grapes in the world, is because no matter where you plant it, it pretty much always gives high yield, and it's always identifiable as Cabernet Sauvignon. You're going to get a lot of other things in it, like other flavors. Like, you know, my favorite place for Cabernet Sauvignon is Oakville. I like the in Napa. So, mm-hmm. Oakville, Napa, Cab Sauv, particularly 2014, is. One of my favorite things ever. Uh, I Peanut would probably be my well, I, maybe Peanut's my favorite. Um, uh, that's those those are really good ones. Um, uh, there, we'll go into some interesting facts about this. But where would you think the before we get started on like the history of Capsov and like things about it? Where would you think that the most Capsov is grown? The most cab sob where what I think it is grown. Now, are we talking like inside the, of the, the United yield. States? No, no, most worldwide. Yield. Yeah, most yield worldwide. Hmm. 
I'm feeling it's going to be someplace weird. So like Mexico, it's not, it's the United States. Okay. Um, and by far about 74% of all cab is grown here in, in mm-hmm. America. Um, what other country would you expect to be on the list? France. I, I would have too. It's not on the top uh, eight huh. in the world or top seven, I guess. So, Number one is the United States with 74% of all cab sov. Number two mm-hmm. is Australia with 7%. Number three is Chile with 6%. Argentina with 4%. Italy with 2%. South Africa with 2%. Israel with 1%. And the rest of the world combined makes up the remaining 3%. Hmm. France is not on the list. And I started thinking about that and I was like, that kind of makes sense because Cab Sauv is actually if you want to be in one of the official growing regions and be able to label your wine one of the official growing regions, I believe Bordeaux is the only place that allows Cab Sauv. Mm-hmm. Uh so it makes sense that that would be and and only uh the right or I think it's the left bank where the Medoc is. I think that's pretty much where your the majority of your Cab Sauv is. I think that the left bank is mostly Merlot. Um, when they mix that in, but I think they do have some of it a little bit as well. Uh, but I find that really kind of interesting because when I was looking at those statistics, I was like, this is, this is really interesting that <laughs> it's that France where, where it originated and where you very much identify Cabernet Sauvignon is not in the top, uh, the top, I guess, seven from this list. Um, but and, and it, I mean, it, that makes sense because even even in Bordeaux, it's blended. Mm-hmm. It may be a dominant grape in the blend, but it's blended with other things and one of the other noble grapes. And you don't uh, – you just don't get a lot of it. It's, it's I think that's very interesting. Yeah, uh, so, I think you're, you're yeah. totally right like on how different that – like that's the thing that always kind of surprises me so much about France is like, because they blend so much, like you're like, Oh yeah, yeah. Everything's blended with that. It's like, no, that that's actually not the truth. <laughs> like, whereas in the U S it's like, for some reason that like that grape is just highly represented. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's really, that's very interesting, but you, it, I, it makes sense though that the US is one. And one of the reasons is the next reason that I'm going to get into why Cabernet Sauvignon is so dominant. And I mentioned it earlier is that it is a highly adaptable vine and it will mm-hmm. grow in pretty much any soil type and it will grow in the entire range of uh, Vita verniferous growing regions. So, it will grow as far north as 50 degrees, which is in Okanagan, Canada. Mm-hmm. You know where that is? I, I, I don't know where that is. Uh, but it's apparently it's near the Great Lakes, but like that would just be like a wild guess. Okay. Yeah. So they, they grow it there and apparently it, it is, it does produce uh, very clearly Cabernet Sauvignon, but more delicate in flavor. And then it also grows as far south as, um, 20 degrees south which is northern argentina hmm. and uh they they also they, it's a little bit warmer there they produce interesting and then it grows everything in between so we grow it here in texas california obviously grows tons of it uh there is a big gap in the middle where it's just too hot to grow it but 
it does have that very that in the two bands. You know, like when you look at these maps of like where grapes are grown, there's like two bands, mm-hmm. and it, and not around the equator, but then there's these two bands that are kind of like north and south of the equator, and um, and then there's like little pockets in in other places uh, where there's there's Mulder barking at something. <laughs> um, but it's hang on, let me close the door a little bit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but yeah, very interesting that it grows. So that's one of the reasons. And then the, then the soil types is also really interesting. So, uh, so one of the things that like we actually talked about this with Rowdy Bolin, or I did when I when I interviewed him. And I should have him back on. I'll make a note to try to mm-hmm. contact him. And see, well, what, I mean, what he's we should also on. have Jason Blood back on. <laughs> that's right, <laughs> Jackson. Blood, yeah, yeah, Jackson. Good yeah. lord. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So um, he had mentioned that you know he has a fantastic. Uh, Malbec that he grows, but he says Malbec is so tricky to deal mm-hmm. with, but he also grows Merlot and he says Merlot is easy. Like it grows, it's no problem. And there's a lot of other grapes that are very fickle where they, they don't do well in different soils or it's too humid or it's uh or it's not, or it's too dry or they, they get too much sun or too little sun or whatever. Cabernet Sauvignon doesn't really have as much of a problem with that. Although the clusters do tend to be tight, tighter, you can also mm-hmm. get different uh, clones of it, which have different yeah. uh, clusters. And so it does a really good job in a lot of different soils. It also is a very high yielding grape. Mm-hmm. So places where they want to have a lot of bang for their buck, they put in Cabernet Sauvignon. Because even if it doesn't produce amazing grapes in the area, they can use this to fill bulk wine and it can be used to blend and just add bulk to a lot of different things. So it's a very marketable grape mm-hmm. and uh, and that makes it very like a very appealing grape for, for you know, viticulturists to grow. Uh, as I also mentioned earlier, it's the child of Cabernet Franc. It took them until 1997 to verify this and it had, it had widely been believed that this is what it – what the – cross was but it's a it's a cross between cabernet franc and sauvignon blanc uh, and that was verified in 1997 mm-hmm. uh, in california uh there is um yeah not not that much more to say about it it's uh in a lot of my favorite wines and uh it grew and you know california produced a lot of really good ones it's in bordeaux blends i've had some excellent excellent ones from chile uh I, i'm pretty sure i've had a few from uh, Argentina, but I don't know for sure. Uh, I believe Stellenbosch or Stellenbach or, uh, in South Africa. Mm-hmm. I think the ones that I've had from there were Cab Sobs. Uh, and, or no, they weren't. They were, um, I, the Faithful Hound. What was that one? That's the one I remember really well because I remember it being really good. Faithful <laughs> Hound Stellenbosch or Stellenbosch, maybe. What is that one? Let's see. Uh, it's a Bordeaux style, so it does have Cab Sauv in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or it's likely to have Cab Sauv in it. It doesn't... Uh, let's see. Oh, yep. 33% Cabernet Sauvignon, 20% Cab Franc, 19% Merlot, 17% Malbec, and 11% Petit Verdot. Mm. Very, very Bordeaux. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was a really good one, I remember, uh, from... South South Africa, which I haven't had very many from South Africa, and we've done so few from Australia. I'm not I'm not sure that I have much to put in for that, but uh, that's Cabernet Sauvignon. I, I don't. Is there anything that I missed? Do you think? 
Um, well, like, I think one of the things that if you didn't understand this, um, is the price point that you can get caps off at, Mm -hmm. it goes from, you know, $3 bottle of wine to thousand dollar bottle of wine. And there's a price point for everybody. And it's not a hard wine to get into because it's so expressive that, you know, for $20 a bottle, you can really try a bunch of different bottles and you can get, you know, some from out of the country, some from within the country, you can get South American ones and you can really see that expressive range of the grape quickly and easily and see a bunch of different things. It's like, you know, your favorite, or you know, kind of freak show. It's like, yeah, this is a completely in like peanut, like they're both completely different expressions of the wine. You know what I mean? Like right. It's right. just something completely different. Well, they are completely different, but that's one of the things that's kind of cool about Cab is if you like Cab Sav, it's mm-hmm. they are very different and they do express very differently. But it's not if you like Cab, it's not really a big jump to go from you know Freak Show to uh, what's another kind of inexpensive one that is is that's popular. Um, you know, Freak I mean, Show, like I think it retails for about yeah. No, go ahead. Sorry. Like Freak, Freak Show re- retails for what, 16 bucks? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So there's not a huge, I mean, there, there's going to be a quality difference between like uh, Winking Owl Cab Sob from Aldi, which mm-hmm. actually is not bad. Uh, there's going to be, but there is going to be a discernible quality difference between the two. But then when you go from like Freak Show to Pina, there's also a big quality difference. So, and then the Pina has expresses things like, you know, blueberry and the tobacco and vanilla, which is a lot more clear in that mm-hmm. freak shows a lot more of like a, you know, punch in the face, which we always, which I like, um, but it does have a lot less of the subtle flavors, but they both clearly cab sobs. Like if somebody gave me a blind taste testing of maybe all three, I'd probably be able to tell that they're all cabs. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily be able to tell where they're all from. Yeah, exactly. And that, and I think that makes it interesting. It also makes it like, because like you were saying at the price point, it's a good way to experiment and see kind of what you like. So, and then, and then also it's a good way to get into blending as well, because if you like, if you, if you, you know, like you and me, we started out not wanting the blends, mm-hmm. but if you, if you want to experience common blends from France, for example, and you know, you like Cab Sob, you can go with a left bank Bordeaux. Yeah. And you're, you're going to get a lot of those, those same flavors. Uh, if you're, interested in trying stuff from Australia, but you don't really know where to go. They do have a um, blend with Shiraz, which is Cab Sauv and Shiraz. And and that's going to be more accessible to you, especially if you don't know what to expect from Shiraz and you're a little hesitant. It's also cheap from Australia. You can usually get a pretty good blend for inexpensive. Mm-hmm. And then in Spain and South America, um, you know, you'll probably be able to guess this. What's the biggest Spanish grape? It's uh, one of our favorites. Uh, uh, Tempranillo? Absolutely, yeah. So Tempranillo, yeah. South America and Spain. Uh, it's less common in Spain, more common in South America, but you can get a Cab Sauv, uh Tempranillo blend um, that's pretty common uh, and usually pretty affordable, especially from South America. Spain, Spain sometimes hit or miss. It's kind of hard to, to get stuff from there um, that's blended. 
but mm-hmm. you can get, you can still get really good deals from Spain. It's just usually going to be something else. Yeah. But um, yeah. So it's kind of an interesting. It's interesting. There, there's a lot of interesting blends you can get. Um, and it and it kind of will introduce you to these other things. So, you know, you, let's say you tried the Bordeaux and you weren't sure if you really wanted to get into Merlot or Cab Franc, but you know you like Cab Sauv. You try one of those Bordeaux blends and and you like it. Well, that, that that's kind of encourages you to try a, a Merlot or a Cab Franc. It, it kind of helps you branch out a little bit, especially if you don't want the price point. Like Cab Franc is a little bit expensive. It's kind of hard to get inexpensive Cab Francs. And mm-hmm. they're also a little bit harder to find. So although Merlot is incredibly common as well. So uh, that might be not as difficult. But, you know, sometimes a blend is a good way to put your toe in the water. I mean, you and I didn't do it that way, but uh, it might be better for other people. Yeah, exactly. All right, you want to do our commercial real quick, and then we'll uh, go into the articles? That's what I was about to suggest. All right. Hi, folks. Dan Reed here, the host of the Culinary Libertarian Podcast. During the show's tenure, I've spoken to celebrated authors of baking and economics. I've chatted with bakers and chefs and libertarians alike to introduce you to people provide a mix of ideas to build your skills in the kitchen as well as tempt your appetite toward liberty type culinarylibertarian.com slash podcasts into your browser search bar and subscribe on your favorite podcatcher i look forward to hearing from you all right and that's our sponsor dan reed from the culinary libertarian uh his most recent episode was pretty interesting it was all about um gluten-free and keto baking hmm which is tough because the you know the gluten that that sugar or whatever it is that is is gluten sugar I guess it's no, sugar it's a protein no it's a protein mm-hmm. I guess whatever that is that's one of the things that kind of makes bread the the sticky kind of and hold it, together yeah it's that's the binding agent basically yeah yeah and so it can be tricky but he's a chef he knows how to do it and if you're yeah. interested uh, go listen to his show because he's got some great tips all I right like it. Do you want to talk about drinks or do you want to talk about goats? Let's talk about goats. All right. So this I thought would be was a cool article for you and me because you and I always talk about trying to find better uses for all that like space along the sides of the roads. Mm-hmm. And so – and then this also ties into wine. So we know that California is always on fire <laughs> and it, it just devastates – the wine industry every single time there's, mm-hmm. there's a big fire, some major winery or, or even minor wineries, which is probably worse. Um, they get just burned up or they lose a bunch of their crop. I remember last, that last big fire, the, was it the campfire? What was it called? Mm-hmm. I think campfire. it was called campfire. Yeah. Yeah. That one, like, I think it burned down like a bunch of hundred year old Zinfandel vines or something mm-hmm. and um, just really kind of devastated the area. But one of the things that California is doing now, which kind of ties into both of these interests of ours, is they're bringing in goats to basically clear all the brush along the sides of the freeway, the mm-hmm. Highway 101, and um, making it a fire break to help reduce the possibility of fires traveling long distances. Right. And yeah, it's kind of a cool thing. And I'm wondering what they do with the goats, because I also like goat meat. I think goats are very tasty. I also <laughs> like goat cheese and goat milk. So um I've never I, it, had goat milk specifically. No? No. We used to actually, where I used to take piano lessons in Northern California when I was a kid, there was a goat. We always went to the, to the piano lessons, but 
I was never really that interested in piano lessons. I was really interested in this goat they had mm-hmm. and, uh, and they would let us milk it hmm. and we could, we could milk the goat and drink the milk right out of the cup that we milked them into. Not and, bad. uh, which probably not sanitary, but like at the same yeah. time, yeah, we're dirty kids anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> we used to, we used to drink, we, I used to love doing that. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And, uh, the goat was pretty cool. And, you know, we got, we got to go out there and just like milk the goat and drink some milk, goat milk out of a thing. It's very different than cow milk. It's a, it's just a very different flavor. Yeah. Um, and it's like wa- more watery. Um, mm-hmm. or it's not more watery. It's like, it's just different. I'm not sure how to describe it, but I, I like it a lot. I also like goat, goat meat and the cheese is made out of goat. We get some goat cheese once in a while at the Russian store, uh, that I like. There's also, we also get a sheep cheese there that I think is really good. Hmm. Uh, but it's like a weird texture. It's like, uh, it's like, but you'll, you wouldn't like this cause you don't like cheese, but it's like, it's like mozzarella mixed with cottage cheese. <laughs> so it's like, it's like that kind of odd texture. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't think you would like it, but I like it a lot anyways. So these goats, they brought them in to kind of clear this brush out. And one of the advantages for creating fire breaks with goats is, uh, that, so you can get cattle to come through and the cattle will eat the grass down, but they won't eat the grass down to the stump. They'll, they'll eat, they'll eat it, leave a little bit. And that little bit still can catch fire in California. And right now it's, it's getting to the dry season when everything is just totally dry. And, um, this stuff catches on fire really easy, particularly when it's along the side of the road. So a car driving by and something falls off of it. It hits a, it hits a spark up and gets onto the dry grass. So that catches really quickly. Mm-hmm. And it's a source of a lot of fires. Now the source of, I think the campfire was PG and E, uh, the monopoly on electricity that California has, uh, not maintaining their lines correctly. And then the wind blowing it and causing the sparks and lighting things on fire. Uh, and it's also, they've been in a drought for a very long time, which is partially due to water management. But, um, these goats, there's 400 goats, and they, they're trying to do a little bit more of a – it's California, so they're trying to do a more environmentally sound thing. But I, I kind of like this. I like when they uh, when they do something that is productive mm-hmm. uh, to, to tr- sort of – even if it's the government doing it, I like it when they're doing something productive rather than something that's like just mowing it. Yeah. Um, and they did this actually a couple of years ago. San Francisco kept having this issue where like the – the uh, fields that were near the golden gate bridge would catch on fire every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And they did the same thing with goats. Cause it's really hard to mow there. You've been there probably. It's that really steep hill there by the, that by the Bay bridge when you cross over onto not into the San Francisco side, but the other side. I have not actually. Um, oh really? Like I, yeah, but I know where you, I know what you're talking about. Like I've, I've yeah. seen the photos of it. So yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's real steep. It's hard to mow it. And that would catch on fire all the time. And, um, so a couple of years ago, they brought in goats to do that as well. And it worked out pretty well. And so now they're doing, they're trying to do the entire one-on-one. So what they built is these kind of temporary fences to allow them to graze. And then they can move them up the, the one-on-one in Sonoma to try to keep this fire break going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, it's an interesting idea to me. I think I, I'd like to see what happens to it. Uh, there's one maybe concern and that is, one of the things that I've always heard is that the reason that certain places in Africa and certain places in the Middle East are deserts and nothing grows there anymore is because overgrazing from goats destroyed the topsoil and mm-hmm. it made it so nothing could grow there anymore. And then that just, that desert 
desertification kind of grew. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. That's what, that's what I've always heard. Um, so that would be, I guess the only concern is that if uh, you've got these goats nibbling down the, the brush and the weeds down to like tiny, tiny stumps that the weeds don't grow back and the goats can't. Now there's this other thing. I watched a Ted talk on it and this other Ted talk says that that was a myth that actually that overgrazing does cause that problem. But when you, when you allow the animals to graze and move through as they're pooping and stirring up the soil, that actually creates a better place for more plants to grow. Mm -hmm. So I can see both being true. Um, especially if one is caused by overgrazing and one is caused by grazing enough, I guess. Yeah. I think, I think if you, I, I think it's hard to overgraze if it's managed correctly, but this is one of those things where, so like in Britain, you know, they've had a huge ecological decline of just general animals. And one of the things that they mention is like, you know, a lot of England is set up for farming and stuff like that, or, you know, homes and the side of the roads there, they were always mowing them, you know, and keeping them short. And like, that was one of the few places, you know, wildlife could really just be. And so they were talking about, you know, stopping doing that because of COVID or whatever. And somebody's like, Oh, you know, like, Hey, COVID's terrible, but this is good. And so that's kind of one of those things where like, you know, I hate to say it in this way. Cause I, I think it's probably better than what they were doing before, but mm-hmm. is it actually useful? You know what I mean? Or is it just another like, Oh, we had to get the vote for Ricky and Ricky was the, you know, the Western guy who had goats and, you know, it's a make work or, you know, so that's, that's always my, um, my concern personally. So like, I certainly hope that it, um, it is what it, you know, it is what it sounds like and it, it's not baloney, but that's always my concern when, whenever I hear, People are like, oh, yeah, like it's blah, blah, blah. It's the best thing ever. And it's like, mm, really? Or yeah. or is this yet again another make work where the people of California are getting duped yet again? <laughs> so, well, that's, And that's very possible. I, I'm, that's kind of, I'm curious to see um, what they do with the goats. Like if it mm-hmm. becomes – if it's like a good sales or something like that or if it's good enough. So right now the state is paying this goat guy to come in and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and it's his business, his business is that he'll come in with his goats and they'll eat everything and, and keep your, your grass down or whatever. Um, I'm curious, he's got 400 goats that are doing this. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see if, if it, if this is successful, would they be willing to maybe auction grazing rights off to people who herd goats? Hmm. Uh, I don't know how, I don't know how popular goat meat is. You and I both like it. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and other goat related products, but I'm curious to see, uh, what, like if it, if it is economically viable, the state doesn't have to pay somebody to do it. Somebody will pay them to let them use that, that land to fatten up their goats. Yeah. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, kind of on that Brit- British note, I watched this really interesting, like mini documentary on Scotland. And you know how, like when you picture Scotland, like the highlands in your minds, uh, it's like these rolling hills with nothing growing on it mm-hmm. or like just moss, moss hills. Mm-hmm. Apparently uh, that is not the way Scotland was until recently. 
um, relatively recently in history. It used to be uh, spruce forests. Hmm. And uh, they, the, I guess the Highlanders or the English, maybe, I don't know who, somebody came in and they just chopped all the trees down and grazed the shit out of it with sheep. And the only thing that would grow there after that was moss. And, um, and it's, and like the topsoil is very hard to continue to control. Uh, you see these, like when you see like these pictures of Scotland, it's really pretty actually, but it's like, you see these deep gashes in the ground from like water running down. You see the same thing in like Iceland. They had a similar issue. Hmm. Um, where they chopped down all these trees that used to grow there. And so there's this guy who since the seventies has, has been getting, you know, from the government obviously, which is not the, our favorite thing, but he's getting these land grants to uh, put up, to erect these big fences to keep deer out. Cause deer still live up there and they'll, they'll, but they'll just eat any tiny, any pine tree that grows just barely, they'll just go eat it and it'll die. And uh, so he's been erecting these big deer fences and planting these pine trees and allowing them to grow back. And it's bringing back like chipmunks and squirrels and all the different birds and stuff that live there. And he, he's, I think they've expanded the little areas that he's growing. It's now like, it's now like 1700 acres, I think. Oh, wow. Of these pine forests that he's been growing back. And he's like, what he hopes is that it'll become sustainable and they'll be able to take down these fences and they'll just grow themselves uh, yeah. and they'll all connect and stuff. But uh, he well, says like, it's very difficult because there's so little soil. Yeah. Well, it's also like if they are managing to grow the, the, the stuff back, the, the deer might eat less of it. You know what I mean? Like exactly. Yeah. And, but yeah. there's also no predators there anymore either. That's, that was another thing he was saying is that uh, there's no wolves there anymore. And the, the wolves used to keep the deer population down. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I just thought sort of an interesting side anecdote. Yeah, that um, is super interesting. Yeah. Maybe I'll say I'll, I'll look up the documentary and send it to you. So it's like 17 minutes or something like that. No, that's, that's pretty awesome. short. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, let me get into my last topic because this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart, as they say. <laughs> um, you know, I love Diet Dr. Pepper and as do you. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, my second favorite drink, actually, my fa- second favorite carbonated drink is uh, root beer, but it's it's not usually caffeinated, and so I don't drink it a lot. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, if I'm going to drink a, a a fizzy drink, usually I want caffeine in it because I'm yeah. an addict. And um, so my third go to is vanilla coke. And there's an regular vanilla drink. coke or diet vanilla coke. Diet diet vanilla coke. Okay. Or Coke Zero. Actually, Coke Zero vanilla specifically. Gotcha. I, I like the, I like. I think Coke Zero is better than diet, but uh, it might just be marketing. I don't know. I just think it tastes better. Um, actually, I think I think diet coke is is based off of the new Coke formula, and Coke Zero is based off the Coca Cola Classic formula. Interesting. I think that's the difference. Yeah, I'm not I'm not 100 hmm. sure, but I, I like the Coke Zero better. Mm-hmm. And the Coke Zero Vanilla in particular, Victoria likes that one a lot. So we usually buy that because we both like it. She doesn't really like Diet Dr. Pepper. And um, so we buy the Coke, Coke Zero Vanilla and it's really good. But, you know, since COVID struck, we haven't been able to find it anywhere. And so, we, you know, I started investigating it because Maddie Kay was like, hey, can I bring anything to you when I come up? And I was like, if you can find Vanilla Coke Zero, bring that. And uh, he went and looked at a couple of places, couldn't find it. So I was like, you know what? This is there's got to be something going on that's that's causing this. And so, sure enough, 
because of of both COVID and because of the trade war with China, there's a two, like a, a right left hook or whatever to the Coca Cola industry <laughs> and, and, and soda in general. Um, there's two shortages going on right now. One is an aluminum shortage, mm-hmm. and one is an aspartame shortage. Oh yeah, I remember hearing about the aspartame shortage. Yeah, yeah, very strange. So the the aluminum shortage is, is caused by two things. It's one thing we do get a lot of aluminum from China. Um, a lot of it's from recycled stuff that we send. We send recycling over there a lot. They'll recycle it and send it back to us as raw mm-hmm. materials or as cans or something like that. Um, so that's one thing is that we're having this conflict with China, and also they've had the Corona stuff going on, so the supply lines are kind of disrupted, and. Um, and so now there's a, an aluminum shortage. This is actually also impacting the beer industry. Uh, so beer has, the, over the last several months, be, even before COVID, can beer beer in cans, craft beer in cans has been growing in popularity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you and I were were getting into it, uh, most craft beer I think that we that we could get was in bottles. Yeah, or you had to go to the brewery itself and get it in the like the the jugs. Yeah, the jugs were those like very large cans, like mm-hmm. that one. Um, what's that? What's the one brewery that was that's kind of over there by uh, Smart Mouth? Um, that was the first one I started getting those really big cans from. Uh, I can't remember the name. Oh, okay. anyways, no, no, no. It was it was a smaller one that was over there. Um, might have been Rep Rap. I think it, I think it was Rep Rap. Hmm. Or no, not Rep Rap. Um, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's one of the ones over there. There's a bunch of breweries in, in that part of Norfolk. <laughs> yes, um, there are. They had pretty good stuff, though. Uh, so, so breweries have been having a little bit of an issue, and, and so is Coca Cola. So Coca Cola has had to start making decisions on what to put out, and uh, and also as a result of these decisions, uh, they've decided to to also kind of start winnowing away some of the other brands that they use that are not as profitable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like. They didn't say for sure that these are going to go away, but like for for example, they own Fresca, and mm-hmm. uh, apparently Fresca is one of those that's in short supply right now because they're just not producing it at the moment because they have a shortage of cans, so they're producing regular Coke, uh, Diet Coke, and Coke Zero pretty much exclusively. Hmm. And um, and I think there's a couple of others that were not popular that people just still have in stock, like that Coke Zero Orange. I don't think mm-hmm. it's very good. And but that is still apparently available in a lot of places, just because nobody thinks it's very good. Uh, <laughs> so that's still around. And then they they own a couple of other brands that uh, I didn't write them down, and I don't want to play. I don't want to open up the one article because it plays a video automatically and makes a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so they're actually they're they're uh, they're left fifty percent of the company's brands account for ninety eight percent of its revenue. Hmm. So they're they're cutting a lot of these out because they're just like, well, it, it's not profitable really for us to do it. And um, so, and they own things like I don't know if you guys have this out there, but it's very popular. Here's Tobo Chico. It's a uh, like a fizzy water. It might be, but I it, I I don't know it off the top of my head. Okay, yeah, I, I like it a lot. They they have Tobo Chico uh, lime and Tobo Chico um, grapefruit. I think those are both really good. But and they're still producing those. Those actually don't come in aluminum. Those come in glass bottles or plastic bottles. Um, so that that actually hasn't been in short supply. But the other reason that the aluminum is in shortage is not because of supply from China, but it's because people are no longer getting fountain drinks because they've been stuck at home for the last several months. 
So mm-hmm. people are buying a ton of canned drinks now. And so <laughs> that's that's part of what's causing the aluminum shortage is that there's just this this huge increase in people buying aluminum products that are contained in aluminum. Beer to go, sodas to go, not going down to the 7-Eleven and getting fountain drinks as often as they used to, not going to a restaurant where they they'll refill your drink from a fountain drink. So there's a lot more demand for containers as sort of an unintended consequence of this lockdown is that it's causing an aluminum shortage. And a lot of people store up their aluminum cans for a very long time before they go and turn them into the recycling center. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in places like California here, we don't get paid. So I just put them in the recycling. Actually, I don't even do that. I just throw them in the trash and hopefully they'll sort them out. Well, but, they, uh, they don't. But I mean, even then, like there's no, there's no, like, there is no like aluminum recycling, like stateside really, you know, like it's that's true. Yeah. It's all like, sent out. Yeah. Cause it's, it's not, easy yeah right right like not an easy thing to do yeah so that that i thought was very interesting and then the aspartame side apparently aspartame and the vanilla flavoring that is in coke zero all comes from china Mm -hmm. for the most part there's there's a little bit that's produced here but not much and uh so that's causing a a huge shortage is that Part of it, they're saying, is because China was under lockdown for a while, so that reduced the amount of aspartame they are putting out. And then part of it's also the trade war. And then additional to that is that some of the places that were producing aspartame were then producing this aerosol disinfectant. Mm, that makes sense. And so that, yeah, and, and that kind of ate up a lot of the raw materials that they used to produce aspartame and... Um, so now there's an aspartame shortage, so you can't get as much. So there's just diet soda in general is that is flavored with aspartame, which is supposedly not good for you. Although I've heard, I've heard that a lot of those studies were flawed, mm-hmm. and that they were paid for by the sugar industry. Um, yeah. But well, who knows? So I, I thought those were very interesting because you and I both like diet soda. Yeah, and, and I um, love me some Fresca. So I, yeah, I like the, Fresca a lot too. That, that's that like that's one that's probably in my top ten. Yeah, that was very sad to hear. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know the uh, oh, the, one of the, the brands one in that they maybe made with stevia. Which one? The one in Mexico uh, for uh, Fresca. Oh, really interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. They they do have a diet coke with stevia, but I don't like the way it tastes. Hmm. It, it's like uh, actually, it's not the it's not the taste. It's too frothy. Hmm. It's. I, I, I'm I'm very picky when it comes to soda, so yeah. Like I, I don't like the Diet Dr Pepper from New Jersey either. Whatever whatever they're doing up there, it's gross. <laughs> Some, something's wrong with it. It's too it's it's the texture. It's like it's not crisp. It's frothy. It's like they I don't know what they're doing differently, but the carbonation's wrong. Yeah, there's like a a couple of places that have Diet Dr Pepper on the menu for like mm-hmm. fountain drinks, and it's different. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Now, the Diet Dr. Pepper in QT, if they have it balanced correctly, is great. Mm-hmm. The Diet Dr. Pepper at McDonald's is never balanced right for some reason. That's <laughs> <laughs> McDonald's. Yeah. But it's a dollar. Yeah. Because any, any size drink is a dollar there. So, like, when we're traveling long distance, we'll we'll stop at a McDonald's usually to get drinks. Although the thing is, like, at QT, like, the the biggest drink they have is, like, $1.20 or something like that. And it's, like... <laughs> The double ultra big gulp or whatever, and it's like a dollar twenty. So we we might as well stop at the QT. Yeah, I don't even. But, uh, I don't even think about things like that. <laughs> Just yeah. get whatever I want. But all right, well, you had one other thing. It sounded like 
no, I think that's it. All right. Well, I just had, there was just two articles. One was about aspartame. No, and no, no, was about it, aluminum. It, it was something about that part of it. Oh, so uh, yeah, but, I don't think so. But either way, if, if I did, I, I've forgotten. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, all right. Well, you can always following us uh tasting anarchy, anarchy on Twitter, tasting anarchy.com, tasting anarchy at gmail.com. If you want to send us an email, you can go to Childerberg, childerberg.com. Uh, you can follow Childerberg on social media if you, as well. If you like, uh, yeah. Stay free, everybody. Yeah. Stay free. Drinking Afghans and calling for more. Drinking wine, for the Yodi, drink wine. Wine, for the Yodi, drink wine. Wine, for the Yodi, drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Drink it, man. Oh, give me some of that slop. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peter's town, buy some wine and pass it around. The age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drinking wine, for the Yodi, drink wine. Wine, for the Yodi, drink wine. Wine, for the Yodi, drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Wine, wine, wine. Cherry, cherry. Wine, wine, wine. Blackberry. Wine, wine, wine. Horton sherry. Wine, wine, wine. Oh, pass that bottle to me. Now down on Gilsby at Willie's Den. He wasn't selling for the American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine. He hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drink a wine for the Yodi, drink wine. Bop, bop. Wine for the Yodi, drink wine. Bop, bop. Wine for the Yodi, drink wine. Bop, bop. Pass that bottle to me. Now I got a nickel, have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Some buys fifth and some buys fourth. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine, for the Yodi, drink wine. Bop, bop. Wine, for the Yodi, drink wine.